Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and I get to sit down every week with the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. One endlessly fascinating aspect about the future of agriculture, to me at least, and really what has allowed me to keep doing this show after 250 plus episodes, is that the future of agriculture, of course, is not just monolithic. I mean, it will ultimately be a patchwork of solutions based on local conditions and individual preferences. And that's why I think the term sustainable agriculture is used so much that it lacks a true definition anymore. I mean, the conditions of what is quote unquote sustainable are going to really change based on your own context. I mean, for example, we here in the U.S. have an agricultural system based upon exports, while our guest today lives in Abu Dhabi, part of the United Arab Emirates, which currently imports around 80% of their food. So what we see here as needed, viable technology for agriculture to create a more sustainable agriculture is likely to be very different there. And that's one reason I like to bring on perspectives from around the world onto the show, because I think it really enriches my view and hopefully yours as well about the future of agriculture, even if your situation may be influenced by different constraints or policies or cultural norms than the guests we have here on the show. Today's guest is His Excellency Dr. Tarek Ben-Hendi. Dr. Tarek is the Director General of the Abu Dhabi Investment Office, otherwise known as ADIO. He leads the organization's efforts to grow and diversify Abu Dhabi's economy through private sector investment. He also oversees strategic initiatives that support the Emirates' economic growth and reputation on the world stage. One of those initiatives was to entice leading ag tech companies from around the world to establish new R&D and production facilities in the Emirate. In 2020, ADIO announced partnerships with Aero Farms. Mater Farms, RNZ, and Responsive Drip Irrigation to bring innovation to the area, to turn sand into farmland, solve complex global agricultural challenges, and expand the profile of local food producers. ADIO is investing $100 million into those four companies to build facilities there in Abu Dhabi, each tasked with solving both regional and global challenges. They're also partnering with three other ag tech companies, U.S.-based Nanorex, as well as India's Fresh to Home and Pure Harvest, to develop what they're calling land, sea, and space ag tech projects in Abu Dhabi, offering $41.3 million in incentives to those companies to develop next-generation agriculture solutions to support food production in arid and desert climates. So in this episode, we talk about these initiatives from a high level and how Dr. Tarek is looking at bringing ag innovation into the region to create a more food secure environment there. His Excellency holds a PhD in economics from the Imperial College London and graduate degrees from Columbia University and London Business School. So I'm going to drop into the conversation here where he is describing his multicultural upbringing. You know, I grew up in a multicultural household. I got to experience the best of this region and got to experience the best of the U.S., right? I went to college in the States, spent summers in the States, grew up here in the UAE. You learn to deal with a lot of different people and work with a lot of different cultures when you're based here. I mean, we have over 200 nationalities in, in the UAE. So 
you know, you're able to learn these different things and, and, and be exposed to a lot of different cultures and nuances that you wouldn't otherwise be if you were isolated and you didn't move around. So I was very blessed and very lucky in that I had a multicultural family. Now, when we were in the States, I went to college there. I then got into the financial industry. I worked uh, in the airline industry, did my MBA at Columbia in the States, and then went to the UK and did my PhD there. But ultimately, what was driving me through all of that was this need to give back, but to give back in a wholesome, holistic way. And so the way that I look at this is the role that I'm in today allows me to do multiple things. One, it allows me to keep that investment hat on because we do have financial incentives and we look at how it is that we can make this as accretive as possible for all the companies that work with us. But two, it allows me to actually demonstrate real contribution to the socioeconomic fabric of our economy and how it is that the changing demographics and the need to rely on each other to be able to do things successfully it just becomes pivotal with everything that we're doing. So this role allows me to do that. I feel very privileged in that I have this ability to connect people. And that ultimately is what I've been doing my whole life, right? It's, it's connecting people, bridging that gap, if I may, between different perceptions and the reality that actually exists. And so, you know, we're in an exciting time right now. We're doing a lot of different things. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the future because, you know, if there's one thing that the narrative has been over the past a few years on a global level about, you know, nationalism and people just focusing on that inward focus. I think what COVID really highlighted to people is that even when you shut down borders and you have to isolate either in your home or in your country, you're not going to be able to solve this crisis unless you're working together on a global level. You know, vaccines coming from around the world, helping people be able to get out of this, us talking to each other, finding solutions together. This role gives me that opportunity to make sure that we keep driving that forward and we create the right opportunities for people. And that in and of itself is invaluable to me. You are the first person we've had on from, from Abu Dhabi. So maybe a good place to start is, could you just sort of describe the region to us? This region is very diverse. That's the first thing I'd like to say. We've got every religion here. We've got every demographic covered. But to the point on demographics, I think that is probably one of the most unique aspects of this region. And that is that it's a very young population and it's a very large young population. And so why that makes it interesting is that you've got a lot of youth here that are looking for any kind of opportunity to do something different to what their parents did and what their grandparents did. So technology is becoming really important. Innovations, you know, driving a lot of the narrative and a lot of the conversations. And honestly, like we've seen with the Abraham Accords, and, and for your listeners who may not know what that is, but that's the peace agreement between the UAE and Israel and Bahrain and Israel, what it presented was essentially hope, right? It gave everybody this view that there are new things that can happen. There is a new way to address old historical issues. And if we're sitting at the table with one another, we can get things done. And so it's a very dynamic region. It's happening, very educated. People are looking for opportunities. And ultimately, everybody's trying to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish anywhere else. And that is provide a good life for their families and uh, be able to travel the world and meet new people. And we're going to start doing that traveling around the world by bringing people over here to Abu Dhabi so that they can see what it's like to live in this part of the world. So the region's dynamic. I think if I narrow it down and start looking at the UAE, and what it is that we're doing here in Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi being the capital of the UAE. It's quite interesting in that you're seeing a shift now in terms of 
what it is that we believe our most valuable asset is. And I think if you asked anyone about the Middle East, you know, back in the States, I'd say, well, it's oil. You know, there's a lot of oil in the region. There's a lot of gas in the region. And I think what leadership around the region now, particularly in the Gulf, of which the UAE is part of, is that you're seeing that, yes, we have a lot of wealth that's in the ground, but we're only going to be able to grow and really diversify our economies and create opportunities for people if we start focusing on the important things that are on the ground, and that is human capital. And so we're welcoming people from around the world to come and, uh, and call Abu Dhabi home and help us uh, help you build your dreams. I know that was kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but I hope that that provided some context as to um, what it's really like here. Not long-winded at all. And was there a specific catalyst that led to this insight that, okay, we've got this wealth underground, but we need to really focus on the wealth we can build above ground? Is there something that happened that sort of caused that initiative to start? I think it's just the general feedback from the population up to leadership. I think we have a very unique system of governance here, the way that governments work. And it's, it's very engaging. It's very interactive. And so what has happened is that you've got the next generation that are coming up, that are looking for opportunities. They are providing that feedback up to leadership. And leadership is doing the right things now in terms of saying, OK, look, you know, we've got traditional industries that have been very successful here. Now we need to diversify either away from those industries so we can support them. And in other words, let's embrace technology. Let's look at how small and medium-sized businesses can come in and help these legacy industries continue to thrive. And then it's, well, let's look at new things. We need to start doing new things and we need to start providing new opportunities for people. And so let's look at new sectors. Let's look at new clusters. Let's see how we can build that up. And I think if we look at what has been happening in the region particularly over the last 18 months, uh, you know, just right before COVID and now coming out of uh, COVID, you're seeing that there's a, a re-emphasis on things that relate to, you know, national security. And that's food security, you're talking about water security, you're looking at the medical industry, all of these key components, again, that all revolve around your number one asset, and that is the people the call Abu Dhabi and the UAE home. And this isn't just about the UAE's leadership, right? You're seeing that in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. You're seeing that in Bahrain. You're seeing that in Kuwait. You're seeing a lot of proactive movement on the part of leadership to say, we've got great industries. We've got great sectors. Let's grow some more. Let's provide the right opportunities because we listen to the people that are on the ground, whether they be local or residents here from around the world that want to be here long term. And we've got to help support them either through employment or through entrepreneurship and them setting up their own businesses. And I think this is where that engagement between the private sector and the public sector and the general population with leadership has helped drive a lot of this economic stimulus in terms of creating new opportunities for, for people. And it, it, that would make sense of how that would lead you to agriculture and ag tech. But maybe if you could talk about for a few minutes the vision you have for what's possible in a place like Abu Dhabi when it comes to food security being water restricted, what types of innovations might lead to that being possible? So we're trying out every type of technology right now. And I know that sounds like a, uh, you know, quite a, uh, a broad answer to, to the question. But the way that we see this is that we've got to provide a platform for innovators and for technology to be able to come out and test that technology. 
ultimately the short-term cost versus the long-term gain from being able to design this appropriately and build the right program and make sure that we have all of the right ingredients in place, you know, the long-term gain far outweighs that short-term cost. And so when we look at technology and we look at innovation, we look at what already exists on the ground, and that is how do we take the 30,000 plus farms that are in Abu Dhabi and make them more efficient, help drive, you know, higher yield? How do we get the transportation, the logistics component sorted? And every one of these components, essentially from seed to plate, every one of those core parts of that ecosystem need to be addressed either by introducing the right type of company or by introducing the right product or testing technology in that space. And so I think this applies across sectors, but particularly with agriculture. And the final point I want to make on this is that we were actually looking at ag tech going back to 2017, 2018. So we have a long history of trying to essentially turn the desert green. This goes back 40, 50 years. But where we've been looking at the technology side of things and designing programs around that technology has happened in the past couple of years. And so what happened with COVID was that we realized very quickly that all that forward planning was very important in terms of us being able to execute during arguably one of the most challenging periods that we will ever experience in our lifetimes. And I hope to God that what I just said uh, is reality because they told us the financial crisis was going to be the worst uh, crisis we went through and then we got hit with COVID. But I do think that what we were able to do then is really execute on those 2018-2019 ag tech programs and policies that we put in place and ramp up our deployment and our execution across uh, the tail end of 2019 into uh, 2020. And we brought a lot of companies to Abu Dhabi and we've helped a lot of farmers. We've structured massive, massive farms and industrial complexes around agriculture, everything from blueberries to strawberries to, uh, you know, poultry, the dairy side of things. So we're covering every aspect that we can, but making sure that it's as efficient as possible. On the ag side, as you think about what success looks like, what key metrics are you looking for? Are you looking for, you know, the success of those 30,000 farms in terms of productivity or profitability? Or is it more like how much of uh, Abu Dhabi's food are we able to provide, you know, from the region? It's both of those things. And it's also a third component. And the third component there is how much of that technology that's actually working really well in Abu Dhabi can we export to the rest of the region and to every arid climate or any country that needs support, whether it be because of deforestation and they require different types of solutions to, you know, drought. You know, Abu Dhabi and the UAE, it's a very, very generous country. I mean, we we provide a lot of aid on an annual basis that's, uh, I think, second only to um, uh, one other country. So we are very, very generous in terms of that. So we're looking at how it is that not only this can apply in the UAE, but also how it is that we can export this to the rest of the world. But going back to the first two points, I think it's really important that we try to manage our food supply internally within the UAE, but we also have to make sure that we are managing our supply chain across countries with all the partnerships that we have. And this is really important, this point in particular. So we have a lot of partnerships across the world, whether it be for land, whether it be with farms, and we need to make sure that we get that logistics component right as well. So for us, making sure that you know, the crops that grow in Abu Dhabi, not just at the 30,000 farms, but all the new farms that we're looking to create, all the new indoor farming, the vertical farming, the new types of technology that are coming out, that we can get that from the farm to people's, you know, kitchen tables within a day. 
is very important, but so is the transportation of goods, you know, from the U.S., for example, all the way to Abu Dhabi in as efficient a time frame as possible so that, you know, fruit doesn't expire quickly, so that it's still fresh when it gets here, so that we're managing that cooling from the U.S. all the way here because... You know, it's very easy to transport stuff over the winter between the U.S. and the UAE. It's incredibly challenging to do that over the summer when if you leave that crop out on a, on a runway for more than a couple hours, it's ruined. And so the heat factor is an important part for us. But again, what we're seeing now with all the companies that, one, have either come and relocated or based a, a large uh, part of their business in Abu Dhabi, or two, the companies that are exploring that and want to transfer their technology over to us, is that they see incredible opportunity to address the direct issues that they had built their businesses around, but then also start plugging into what some of the other sectors and industries are desperately looking for, and that is energy efficiency and water efficiency. And that's driving a lot of the narrative around ag tech and, and beyond ag tech. And I imagine to attract innovators in this space to Abu Dhabi, you have to show sort of an innovation ecosystem locally. Maybe could you talk about how do you build that ecosystem? What are the components of a of a thriving ag tech innovation ecosystem? So we think we have all the right ingredients right now. And, and obviously, I would be saying that. But if I look at what's actually on the ground, when I look at the universities, when I look at the financial incentives, when I look at all of the different regulations, when I look at the way that you can access decision makers at every level of government, and get things done efficiently, which sometimes is the thing that needs to happen the most, right? And, and this is where things get stuck in other markets. We're very efficient and very quick with that. We believe we've got all the right ingredients. What we're looking for now is density. We need to get as many of these technology players to Abu Dhabi working with us and with one another to solve some of these problems. So I'll give you an example. When we were working with one of the companies that has now come and set up a facility in Abu Dhabi, one of the big things that they were focused on was can we have access to your universities? Do you have agricultural programs? And we're like, yeah, we've got a great agricultural program at one of our universities. And we graduate 100 advanced farmers every year, local advanced farmers every year from that university. And they'd be more than happy to come in and look at what you're doing and work with you guys and ultimately maybe seek employment or become your partners in the long run with whatever it is that they are doing. And so it really depends on the stage of growth and development of the company. If it's an early stage company and they're looking for support, we've got all the financial tools. We've got the access that they require to be able to deploy their technology. Um, we can secure land. We can secure different things for them. If you're a large player and you're already a massive multinational and you want to grow and base a massive facility in Abu Dhabi, we can help with that as well. From funding to the right connections to sourcing the right talent, we've got all those parts in place. Right now, it's how do we showcase all of these opportunities to the world so that they understand that it's actually available? And I have to tell you, 2020 was an interesting year for us because COVID actually allowed us to highlight how quickly and efficiently we are able to react and how proactive we can be with the solutions that we're looking for to protect the people that are here from uh, something as deadly as this virus. And and that gave us a lot of momentum with a lot of companies and with people because they're like, listen, we like the way that you guys operate. We like the way that you guys were really quick, the way that you're protecting people. And now we're really interested to see what you have that's on the ground that we can um, work with. And so 
that's been an important one for us and we've gained a lot of momentum there. So we believe we have all the pieces. Some pieces of that ecosystem need to be developed further because we need that density. We want more companies to come there and participate. But ultimately, we're going to create that density if we're working together in partnership with all these technology players. And how are you discerning the feasibility of these technologies? Uh, I'm sure you see a wide variety of people who have the next solution that's going to feed the world. And, you know, some of those maybe have a chance of playing an important role and others uh, are just marketing. So, you know, as you think about that, what are you seeing out there as far as how do you assess the feasibility and what do you see as most feasible, at least in your region? So it's a great question. And I think the best answer that I can give you for that is we as the Abu Dhabi Investment Office are not ag tech experts in every technology. We've got our partners in, in the ecosystem, you know, from the Abu Dhabi um, Agriculture Food Security Authority to all the different regulators and so on that play a part in this, the farmers, the aggregators. And so we work together with them. We make it very clear that when companies are coming here, that they are going to meet all of these players and people are going to be assessing what is it they're bringing. I think ultimately for us, it's again, to the point of whether it's a new technology that needs to be tested or whether it's a large company that's already tested the technology multiple times in multiple jurisdictions and, and sees that it works and now they want to try it out here. Our job is to try to make that technology as successful as possible by de-risking as much of the experimentation and the cost of that experimentation as possible. And that is sometimes a challenging thing to do when it's a brand new technology and no one knows whether it's going to work or not. But our whole impetus here is on driving that innovation, on driving that experimentation, and ultimately making sure that people know that this is the right platform for them to come in and try to test out these technologies. And, and look, you're right. You're not going to get it right uh, a lot of the time. You know, technology is meant to be tested and then, you know, tweaked and then adjusted and people come in and they try different things. But we think that if we don't do that, we're going to be missing a major part of the development, advancement, and ultimately the resiliency of this industry and this sector in Abu Dhabi and ultimately the region. So we've made that decision to take this forward, to make sure that we partner with as many people as possible to develop these technologies. And uh, we're going to test it as we go along. But we do spend a lot of time with the companies that approach us and, and with innovators that approach us so that we really understand what they're trying to accomplish and whether or not we can help them in the way that we think will be helpful to their success. I know the Ag Tech Initiative is referred to as the Land, Sea, and Space Ag Tech Initiative, and we've focused mostly so far today on land. Maybe could you talk about the sea and space part of that, or how you're looking at that? Yeah, so the space part's really interesting, and, and you know, we supported NanoRacks, and NanoRacks, is, you know, they're the largest uh, commercial consumer of uh, space on the ISS in terms of the agricultural testing that they're doing there. And, and that was really neat for us because... We looked at that and we said, okay, if these guys can be successful in space, we are pretty sure that we can bring that technology here and make it successful here on the ground. So it's, again, how do you deploy stuff in one area and look to then roll it out in another area? And again, we're probably not going to have a lot of experimentation in that uh, space, no pun intended as it relates to, to that. But if I look at the sea and the ocean, a lot of that will come back to that water efficiency component. We desalinate a lot of water here. Water is a precious commodity in this part of the world, right? If we did not desalinate water in the Gulf in this region, 
people would go thirsty. It is a very, very important resource that we lack here. And so technology around how we can desalinate is very important for some of the traditional farms as, as well as just the community in general. But importantly, and we've, we're working with a couple of partners now, is how can we potentially use salt water, ocean water, to grow crops that don't taste like they've been grown in salt water? And so there's technology around that. So, you know, how can we apply certain levels of experimentation to what is already happening uh, with salt water into the agricultural space? Like, for example, water lentils. How can we grow that in salt water and then be able to use that as a, a source of feed for livestock? So there are a lot of solutions just in that sentence that I've provided, and, and we need to make sure that we're addressing every single part of that. And so I think that this is going to come back to, as it relates to the ocean, what we can do on the ocean, what we can do with the water, how it is that we can experiment with growing crops. And it's a work in progress in that space. And, and we're starting to get a lot of interest from companies around the world where they have faced similar issues in their respective countries and they have interesting solutions and they like the fact that we provide that platform for them to be able to come here and experiment. And so, you know, I don't even know what types of technologies are going to be there in a year's time because we're seeing so many different things. And so it's, it's uh, ultimately really exciting for us because we get to talk to all these technologists and innovators and some of them are coming from traditional farms saying, listen, we've been doing this for a long time in a certain way and it's time that we do it differently from an efficiency perspective and, uh, and it's working. I know that the desalinization process is not cheap. What do the economics look like for the farmers using that water for irrigation? I mean, I imagine it's subsidized or are they having to pay quite a bit to get irrigation water? It's a balance, right? It's how do we grow the right type of crop using the right amount of water? And so the government does provide very, very high levels of uh, subsidies for water usage. And so it's not as expensive as you would think. In fact, it's actually very, very affordable, not just here in the UAE, but for on a regional basis is one of the cheapest water costs that you can get. And so the government's very keen on making sure that we are able to uh, give people the opportunity to use that water. But again, now we want to really focus on being as efficient as possible with that water usage. And so you're right. It's a precious commodity. It's expensive to desalinate. And we need to make sure that groundwater that we use as well is not being overused to where it can't be replenished, you know, fast enough. And so that's what it is that we're trying to address by making sure that when we do desalinate, people are not being wasteful with the water and they're able to use it to grow the right type of crop. Very interesting. Well, this, this is great. I really appreciate all of this because in the U.S. it's kind of like, well, why would we do vertical farms? We've got, you know, Salinas. We've got the salad bowl of the world right down the road. And not everybody has the salad bowl of the world right down the road necessarily. Yeah. And I think a lot of it as well, you know, when I think about this, it's so, yeah, you know, land is great when you've got land and when you have fertile land, it's even better. Right. The problem is, how do you uh, how do you account for disease that may spread through a field? Right. How do you address drought? How do you address all of these different factors that are becoming more and more relevant and more and more prevalent in the agricultural space? So forget ag tech for a minute, in traditional agriculture, right? You know, you talk to farmers down in Florida and they're talking about, you know, the bees have disappeared. All those orange groves are, are gone, right? What do you do to address that? Do you just look at a different crop? Do you have a different mechanism for making sure that you still have those orange uh, groves uh, growing and thriving? So again, we're all going to start facing these types of issues and, and then move over from the States over to this part of the world. And you would have seen or potentially would have seen these locusts 
you know, flying around and just absolutely decimating crops across the African continent, right? Just flying around and absolutely wiping out six months worth of food for people that rely on those crops. Again, how do we address that? And I think we can try to take technology, innovation, different approaches that apply in other sectors and look at how it is that we can work those into solutions for a traditional agriculture, but then apply the technology part to that agriculture to make sure that we, we maintain that resiliency because the world's population is growing. We are eating more and more meat. We are asking for more and more high quality produce, but we want to make sure that it's done ethically. We want to make sure that it's done efficiently, that it's not depleting the world's resources. The only way we can do that and be able to address people's wants and needs is by using technology. And so we believe we've got the right uh, set of ingredients to make that happen. And we invite everybody to come over here and, and test it with us. Excellent. You know, it's said that data is the new oil. And as someone who knows a thing or two about data and about oil, I'd be curious of your take on that and what you would tell someone who's skeptical that that is true. So it depends on what you're doing with that oil, right? <laughs> so yeah, data could be the new oil, but I would argue that water is probably more valuable than oil depending on the circumstance, right? I think when you look at what it is that we are trying to do, and this is an important part, back to your question earlier about the ecosystem, right? It's if you can't access the data and you're not sure of what's happening in the ecosystem itself, then you're facing an uphill battle, right? So the government has made data available now across, I think it's 2,000 different uh, data sets and categories, and they're continuing to expand that in terms of the accessibility of data. And this is part of that experimentation, right? So I, I go back and I look at what it is that we're doing. When we try out some of these new technologies on a really small plot of land and we see how well it works, it might be great on a small plot of land, but then when you try to extrapolate that and look at how it is that you apply it across, you know, you move from like a 10 square foot plot to 10 square acres, it's going to be a very different experience. So how do we take that data? How do we manage it? How do we do different things with it? But yes, you're right. It is the new gold. It's the new oil. It's extremely valuable. And it's only going to become more and more valuable as we test for what works, but also test for what fails. And I think it's that failure rate that's really important to us as well so that we understand, okay, this doesn't work. We need to go down a different avenue. But if we don't test for it first and actually get that data and understand what, why it doesn't work, then we're going to keep failing if we keep doing the same thing over and over. And, and I think what's that? quote, I think if you do the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result, this is the definition of insanity. Data helps you avoid that insanity, but it's got to be treated the right way and you've got to make sure that you're reading the data correctly. So it is valuable. We're going to keep working hand in hand with the universities and that's why they're really important. And we've got, you know, 16, 17 universities in Abu Dhabi right now that are really at the forefront of a lot of the technology, a lot of the experimentation. They are gatekeepers of that data and they want to work with the private sector to make sure they drive that forward. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tarek. A anything else that we didn't get to that you were hoping to at least mention before I let you get on with your day? One thing that I would like to highlight is that we really pride ourselves on being able to take perceptions or misconceptions about what this region is like and turning them completely upside down. I think the biggest thing that we do that benefits everyone ultimately is provide that exposure 
and ultimately take that interest that that exposure creates and turn it into a proper integrated community, society, business plan, all the different things that lead to people being successful. So we welcome the world here. We want everybody to come here and, and call Abu Dhabi home and look at what it is that we're trying to build. We're a young country with a lot of ambition and we want to attract everybody that is, uh, is hopeful, that's looking to be able to um, build something and let us work with them uh, you know, in partnership with one another. Well, once again, thank you so very much to His Excellency Dr. Tarek Ben-Hendi for being on the show. If you're at all interested in contributing to his mission of bringing innovation to that region, or just interested in innovation ecosystem building in general, go ahead and visit their website, which is investinabudabi.ae. I really do appreciate all of you who continue to share these episodes with your network. It really is the single biggest way you can support the show on a regular basis. Thank you for those of you who do so. I also want to give a special shout out and thank you to Cody Penfold, who made the connection for me to Jim Ethington for last week's episode. I forgot to mention it last week, but it is very much appreciated. Thank you, Cody. If you haven't yet filled out the listener survey, please take a few minutes to do that. The link is in the show notes. And other than that, thank you so much for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Innovation.